or the day following the, uh, the Feast of Passover, and that was the Feast of First Fruits. And so I shared last week the, the, the principle behind that, the historical principle, because Paul called Jesus' resurrection the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, Paul is a Jew who's steeped in Judaism. He understands, and when he's making a connotation there, he's doing so purposely. He's putting them in remembrance of the actual Feast of First Fruits that the children of Israel could not annually, they could not take of any new harvest out of their gardens or out of their fields. They couldn't take of any grain that was new until they presented the offering of first fruits in the temple because God was saying this was a means of celebrating and recognizing the harvest that is yet to come. There's a harvest that's yet to come, but you celebrate with the first fruits. Well, I shared with you how that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, listen, that's a theology, that's a doctrine that I'm telling you ought to cause celebration in our hearts. Now, the reality is that we don't like to talk about death, but we're forced to, we, we stay as far away from death as we can until the, the death knocks on our door or our family member's door or a loved one, and then we're at the funeral home, or there we're going through the process, we're recovering from the tragedy or the loss, and when we do, we're confronted by it. And Paul used that principle of the first fruits to encourage the church that if we believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and is raised again, then guess what? All who have faith in Christ, who have gone on before us, their bodies are awaiting the resurrection from the dead. And what a confidence that we have today. Death has truly lost its victory. Come on, the sting of death has been taken out. I'm not saying the fear of the dying process is not, still not a real uh, travail that many of us, I mean, if, you're, if you go through a health crisis that you uh, eventually die from, I mean, that's a, that can be a fearful thing, a traumatic experience where life is taken quickly. That's a traumatic thing. But the reality is, the reality is, is Christ has triumphed over the grave. And he's alive today. And that gives all of us hope. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote in the book of Thessalonians, he said, I want you to comfort one another with these words, right? Because people that don't know Christ, they don't have this hope, right? They don't have the hope of the resurrection, celebrating the first fruits. Well, the third feast, what was called the spring feast, they all happened within seven days of each other. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, but actually immediately following Passover was a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And unleavened bread was actually first uh, intended by God to commemorate the night of their coming out of Egypt. Because when they came out of Egypt, God gave instruction in the book of Leviticus later, but initially in the book of Exodus. And only for the sake of time, I'm going to admit reading that text because I won't even have time to even allude to it. God told Israel, he said, I want you to, he said, I want you to prepare your meal that night unleavened. Don't put leaven. Don't, don't even wait because it's going to be in haste that you're about to come out. It's going, to be about, it's going to be in haste that you're about to come out. And so and God said, I don't want you to bring the leaven of Egypt with you. Does everybody know what leaven is? Just a little bit. You and I might be familiar with more with like yeast. We think about yeast. We think about something that causes uh, our dough to rise. And so leaven is the biblical term. It's that, that, that part of that, that, that element that allows that, that yeast. It's a, it's a chemical process that once it breaks down, it creates air pockets in the bread, and it actually rises. 
And so that became a part of the feast. And so the children of Israel were to not eat of leavened bread for seven days. Now, the night of the betrayal, excuse me, not the night of the betrayal, but the night of the exodus, it was only one night. But the subsequent feast that would happen annually after they came out of Egypt, God gave them instruction and he said, I want you to go through your houses. And he even used this word. He said, I want you to put away all the leaven. That's the King James Version. If we had read the text in Exodus chapter number 12, it says remove in the New King James. So there was a biblical responsibility placed upon the the Jewish people that prior to sharing that feast, that they were to go through all their houses and they were to search through their cupboards, they were to search in their homes until they found every morsel of bread that had leaven in it and they were to remove it. Now, the Jewish practice was this. They, they, it evolved into something that they, they, it became a family event. They would actually use a candle. A candle would be used, and the father would go through the house with the wife as well as with the children. There were some other uh, objects that they would use to commemorate that night, but they would make it almost like, uh, let's go back to Easter for a moment. One of the things that people practice or celebrate in Easter now, they hide Easter eggs. Right, And so the little children then go out in the yard and they find the egg. Well, what the Jew did was he, by candlelight, would go through his house and he would search every corridor. Because God said, if you don't get the leaven out, you're going to be cut off from the people. You're going to be separated from the people of Israel. So it behooved them to heed the counsel of God. And, inst- and follow the instruction and get the leaven out. And so they made it a family event. And they would search through their houses and they would find the, the leaven and they would keep it in one place until the Feast of Unleavened Bread commenced. And you know when it commenced? It commenced exactly one minute after Passover concluded. So when the Passover calendar concluded, which was at evening time, typically at 6 p.m., because you know Israel celebrated their days from evening to evening, not from morning to evening like you and I do, but they went from evening to evening. So when Passover would conclude right at 6 p.m., at 6.01, the Feast of Unleavened Bread would begin, and they would burn the leaven that they had gathered through the course of the previous week when they were gathering it up as a family. And that became a point of remembrance that would take place year after year after year. And so by the time the Apostle Paul, who is a Jew, is writing to the church, He actually uses this analogy to teach us one of the most important principles that we can have as a believer in Christ. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at just briefly today. And I'm going to shave off all the other externals and go right to the main point. Only for the sake of time. But I do want you to look at this with me. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I want you to see this with me for just a moment. You know, every now and then, do you ever buy a watermelon? And this is what we used to say when I was a kid. Now, you may not say it this way, so if I offend you, I'm sorry. We would say, don't eat the heart out of that watermelon. I can remember my mom and dad would say, Lee, don't, don't, you know, because when you cut it, the first thing is you want to do is you just want to go right to the heart of the watermelon and save the seeds for your sister. <laughs> yes. And so today, I'm going to go right to the heart here. We go right to the heart, and that's in 1 Corinthians 5. We're only going to read these three verses. Look at it with me real quickly. It's verse number 6. He said, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, or leavens the whole lump? So real quickly, the context of this passage, it's one of the most difficult in all the New Testament. Paul the Apostle is addressing 
the arrogancy of the Corinthian church because of what we call gross immorality. And this gross immorality was this. If you took the time to read those preceding verses, there was a man in the Corinthian church who was active in the church, but he was engaged in a sexual relationship with his father's wife. So not his mother, but his father's wife. And Paul writes, because the Corinthians are puffed up about it, arrogant, allowing he's coming, he's functioning amongst them. He, maybe he's a teacher. Maybe he's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe he's a pastor. We don't know what it is. The Scripture doesn't give us that narrative. But they're not grieved enough to move to action to make sure, and I say this strongly, to remove that person for the purpose of leading him to repentance. And so Paul here is using this as an analogy, and he's saying, if you don't deal with this situation, it's going to affect the whole. He's using this as an analogy, going back to the leaven for a moment. And he's saying, if you don't deal with this, it's going to eventually permeate the entirety of the loaf. The entirety of the loaf is going to reach a place where there's a condoning of sin. Now, I know in our culture today, many of our churches, we're afraid to talk about sin. We're afraid to address the real issues of life. But I want you to, go today, I want you to know today, the reality is, is sin is something that's got to be dealt with. We have to deal with it. And, and, and I'm not talking about the sin nature right now. When I talk about the sin nature, I'm talking about a sinner that needs to be saved. Only the blood of Jesus can take away that sin. Only the redeeming nature of Christ on the cross that was given in exchange for our transgression. But once you become saved, the potential to sin still lies within each one of us. And sometimes not even just the potential, the desire to sin is still present. Paul said in Romans 6, sin is condemned in the flesh. My flesh was not redeemed. My flesh that I trained to sin before I was saved still craves for the desires that I used to gratify it with. Because you got to think about that. Salvation is instantaneous in the spirit. So your spirit can go from being lifeless to being made alive to God instantaneously by the breath of God. So in one moment of time, like you could come to the altar, and we would say it like we used to say it in days gone by, if you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you call out and ask for God to save you, in a moment's time, you go from an old creature to a new creation. You go from a sinner to a saint. You go from unjust to justified by faith in Christ Jesus. But the capacity to sin and the desire to sin can still be bound to the old, what we call the Adamic nature, the fleshly appetites. And so though Paul was given this instruction to the church as a whole, dealing with one man, that's a corporate application. There's still a personal application in our hearts and lives as well. Because I want you to know today, God wants all of us to set sin aside in our lives. Man, I knew you wouldn't shout very loud at that, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. God wants His people sanctified and set apart, living a life and a lifestyle that's pleasing to Him. And so look what He said here. Listen, there's only two verses that we're going to read, two additional verses. So I want, that's the corporate setting, but I want you to look at it with a little bit of an individual mind for a moment. He said, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Look at this, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So let's stop right there. Now, this is the misconception that many have when, they're, when, when they feel like they're being drawn to the Lord. They believe that in order for them to get to the Lord, then that they have to stop sinning. 
as if they've got to get cleaned up to be acceptable unto God. And that misconception keeps many people from coming to God. But the reality is, as the old song said, it's just as I am. Come on, without one plea. You just come to God just as you are, and you present yourself as totally depraved, without any ability to save yourself. But by faith, you trust in Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Right? And when that takes place, that, that, that amazing transaction is applied to your behalf. Jesus Christ redeemed you at the cross. You're bought back from the bondages of sin. Man, that's a great place to be at, to know your sins are forgiven. And Paul said here, look at this, in this passage, he said, you truly are unleavened. What does that mean? If leaven then, in this sense, is representing sin, that in positionally and relationally to God, God views you as unleavened. You say, how does God view me as Because I'm in Christ, right? And because Christ was the sinless Lamb of God that died on the cross. So God views us as unleavened. So therefore, let me see if I can make this uh, plain to us, and then I'll transition, and I'll kind of just push past all the notes that I wanted to share with you, and I'll just summarize in closing today. Because you are unleavened, God now will empower you to lay aside the daily sins that you used to struggle with. Does that make sense here today at all? No, so, so it's not this. You don't stop sinning to be declared unleavened. God declares you unleavened. God declares you sinless. And now, because God's declared you sinless, now you can begin to go through a life and lifestyle change where you overcome sin on a daily basis. Man, that's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, he said, Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law. You're under grace. God's accepted you and declared you holy and righteous. And look at this in this eighth verse then. He said, so now Paul is putting this in the context of the feast of unleavened bread. He said, so let's keep the feast. That's you and I. Let's keep it here. He said, let's keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice, not with the leaven of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I'm telling you, if I could believe God for any type of revival in the American Christian church, the revival that I'm looking for is a revival of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and the lives of God's people till we suddenly become accountable for our life and our lifestyle. Where we suddenly begin to realize that Christ has declared me unleavened. So therefore, God wants my life to be without sin. And by the grace of God on the inside of me, you say, Pastor, you're telling people that they can live a above sin. Yes, I am. I'll look you right in the eye and say it's not the will of God for you to be an adulterer, a fornicator. It's not the will of God for you to be a drunkard. Not the will of God for you to be on drugs. Not the will of God for you to walk in malice. Not the will of God for you to be jealous or envious or to be a backbiter. Come on, somebody. I want you to know today, God wants you to be unleavened, not just by nature, but in action. So Paul here is saying to us, he said, it's your responsibility then to keep the feast. you got to keep the feast. Well, not with, he said, malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you're truly born again, this matters to you. I want you to know today, I want 
Listen, I want to live a life free of sin for this reason right here. For this reason, because of my love for God. And I only even say my love for God because I contrast it with his love for me. It's not that I first loved him. It's that he first loved me. And my father is holy. And my father is righteous. And if I've been saved, I want to be walking and talking in the likeness and in the image of Jesus. And so put that back on the screen, if you will, for me just a moment, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just have to wrap it up here today because the, the time's just gone away. For the eighth verse, look at this. He said, let's keep this feast, not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Can I just share this in closing here today for a moment, what I think is a very important thing for each one of us, that we all have to, we have to, in contrast of the Feast of Israel, of the, of the Passover, and then of the Feast of first fruits, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I think it would be wrong for me to bring you into the house of God and speak the Word of God to you and not bring you into the revelation that the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you can strengthen you in your walk with God to the degree that you can overcome the daily battle with sin. I just, and any church that tells you different is not teaching you the full counsel of God. Any church that looks you in the eye and says this, and I've heard this many times, now uh, say, well, now you're going to sin. Now, why would I say that? Why would, why would say, well, you don't want somebody to be set up so high because that when they sin, Pastor Brown, then they're going to be demoralized. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to look you in the eye and say, you're going to sin. I'm not going to do that. The potential to sin lies within each one of us. The desire to sin lies within each one of us. But also the potential to overcome sin lies within each one of us, right? And if our desire meets our potential, then daily we can overcome sin. And so you don't have to speak with that old condemning tone. Alyssa, the text that Alyssa read from, the reason I chose that text is Paul said, put off the old man. In a different analogy, he said, put off the old man and put on the new man. Remember what he said? He said, put away lying, put away cursing, let him that stole steal no more, right? Envy and jealousy and hatred and malice, all the things that used to mark you as an individual, that, those, those things are powerless uh, against the power of the Holy Spirit. They will succumb to the greater power, and the greater power is Christ in you and the anointing of God in your life. And so eat the bread with what? With sincerity and truth. If you're sincere, then you want the truth of God. If you're really sincere about your faith in God, you're not offended when your pastor looks you in the eye and tells you you can overcome. You're not offended by that. Matter of fact, that's what you've been waiting on. Because your carnal mind says, well, your carnal mind begins to make excuses. I'm telling you one thing about God. There are no excuses with Him. No excuses. He wipes the slate clean, and he sent his spirit in your heart, and he empowers you to live a pleasing life. The children of Israel, as I close here today, in the practice that they, uh, you know, in the tradition, they had the candle, the candle. Now, when we think of candle, we think of a wax candle, but most likely it was a lamp to Israel with oil and a wick in that they used, and they would search the house, and there would be an illumination, the dark corridors. Let me give you an example. Say, Pastor, give me a biblical example. Does anybody remember the parable of the lost coin? Remember that parable? Jesus said a woman lost a silver coin in her house. 
So what did she do? He said she took a candle and she swept and searched the whole house until she found the candle. And so that's an analysis, a brief example of what it would have been like for the Jew who was practicing the Feast of Unleavened Bread, preparing for it. Because he was truly unleavened in the eyes of God, God said, now separate the leaven out of your life. Separate the leaven out of your house. God, did, God had the children of Israel practice that feast for thousands of years so that when the church was born, we would know by the grace of God, we can separate ourselves from the leaven, the sin that so easily has beset us. He said, Pastor, what's the most critical element to learning to overcome sin? What's the most critical element? I believe it's developing a consciousness to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to have the voice of conviction in your heart. Does this make sense at all? The voice of conviction. Let me read these to you in closing here today. Proverbs 20 and 27 says, The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, and he searches all the inner depths of his heart. Your spirit has been joined by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that when we sin against God, we grieve the Holy Spirit? There's an immediate grieving in our hearts. And when we would learn to hear that and yield to that, then we can immediately repent of that transgression. Let me go farther. Psalm 77 says, my spirit has made diligent search. So there's a searching in yourself by the Holy Spirit who is joined with your spirit. Psalm 139, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. Romans 8 and 27 says, He that searches the hearts being God. So it is the will of God for a search, an inward search, to be made in our hearts and minds. How do we do that? We do that by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us. Because the Spirit of God is constantly searching the resources of your heart. The Spirit of God is constantly forever searching the recesses of your heart. And if there is iniquity found, he immediately brings illumination to it. So that you as the believer can immediately note it and repent of it at that moment in Jesus' name. Does that make sense to anyone here at all today? Now, this closing text here, just, I'm just reading this to you. So, and this is why it's important to know the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130 says, the entrance of his word gives light. Proverbs 6 and 23 says, his commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproof of instruction of the way of life. And Psalm 18, verse 28 says, thou wilt light my candle, and the Lord will enlighten my darkness. And so as you have learned the word of God, and Aaron, I'll ask you on the platform with me here to close today. As you learn the word of God, and you get taught the word of God, and you hide the word in your heart, that becomes a candle it becomes a candle, an inward candle, illuminating the recesses of your heart. And I believe that as the Holy Spirit, as you go through your daily life, walking and listening and just being who God's called you to be, the Holy Spirit is searching. Because let me tell you this, a lot of times sin is not outward. A lot of times sin is inward. Sometimes you can have all the appearance, all the appearance man, that you're doing. Man, look, I'm walking, I'm doing this, I got the look. But let me tell you, you can be seated right here and be bitter. You can be sitting right here. You could have just came through worship service just like this. Hand back and forth. This is what Tim Hawkins called the washing the window. You could have the goalposts, whatever it is. You know, you could have the whole thing. And yet on the inside of you, you can be bound by lust. Right? Or you could be envious of someone else. Or you can be jealous. Or you can be harboring a bitterness in your heart towards somebody in the church. 
that did something to you. Sometimes that happens and you don't, they don't even know, the other person don't even know that they did something to you and you're over there harboring bitterness. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, searches the inward man. He searches the inward man and he reveals those areas to us. And when he reveals it, it becomes our responsibility. Here's what Paul said. If we had read that whole text, he said, you put it away. Put it away. Who can do that for you? I can't. Jojo and I can't do that for you. I can't do it for Jojo. Jojo can't do that for me. There's only one person that can put the leaven out of your own life, and that's you. That's you. And I believe we need a revival of conviction in the church in America today where our hearts are grieved when we've sinned and we immediately deal with it by the presence of God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. It's been a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. People have spoke powerful words and prophetic words. And, 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 and I've taken my sermon and I've just kind of just compacted it together to just drop it down in your spirit today to just share this with you, that over the last three weeks, I've walked you down a picture of the Christian life through what Christ accomplished at the cross. First, his blood, Passover. Secondly, his resurrection, first fruits. Today, the feast of unleavened bread, the sinless life of Jesus becomes our example. We can put away sin in our heart and our lives. I want to pray today in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you here today, I want to ask you to do something with me today. I want to ask you to stand up as a whole, as a congregation. I want to ask you to do something. We've done this in closing before. and It's 12-11. I'm not going to take much more of your time, but everybody, that, everybody can come to the altar with me. And let's just stand in closing a corporate prayer.